Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 405 DJS, happy Friday. Enjoy the uh, 40 degree temperature drop, right? It's like 82 now, 81. It's going to be 45 by uh, the time we wake up. That's cool. Um... Yeah, we're just talking about Rach is flying to Japan on Halloween, and the longest leg is 14 hours. How long was your Sydney trip? Oh, it was it was L.A. to Sydney was 16 hours, but oh. it, we had to come from Chicago. So Lord, oh my it was it was I think it was pretty close to 20 21 hours in total. More than that, counting the layover because we had like a three and a half four hour layover in L.A. Uh, so we just rented a car and went out to the beach and got got lunch and then went back and man did the whole deal. Not worth it. I did Europe uh, once and then when I would I would go back and forth to uh, Alaska when I was working there quite a bit and I think the longest leg there was like six, but even that was when you went to Alaska. Did you have to get like? This is probably a stupid question, but did you have to get flown in on like one of those small kind of like? No, 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 no. Anchorage is a, a Modern city. Okay. No, we we would fly like seven thirty sevens and so like yeah. just normal flights from yeah. somewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now the only time I really did a puddle jumper was I was doing a deposition of someone. I think it was in Pueblo, Colorado, <clears throat> and we took about a twenty seater, and I got on, and uh, the guy next to me goes, "You ever taken this flight before?" And I said, "No." And he said. You a nervous flyer? I said, you know what? I actually am. He goes, this is going to be the worst flight of your life. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was either Pueblo to Colorado Springs or vice versa. It was only about an hour-ish, but it was, I mean, like the worst turbulence you've ever had the entire time. And uh, the guy next to me, he's like, I take this all the time. These pilots are cowboys. This is just because of the heat and the, the cool okay, so that's mountains. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And I remember there was a pretty girl... Uh, close to me, and she was feeling sick. Uh, she had filled up her throw-up bag. Tells you how cute she was. She was throwing up. And I gave her mine, and the same guy next to me goes, you're going to regret that. <laughs> I held it together. You're like, my lady? Nice. Yeah, that's right. Say, and they say chivalry. Please, please fill He's my like, bag. He's like, well, I may borrow yours then, sir. <laughs> chivalry is not dead. Uh, got some audio? Yeah. Uh, we can start with yours, Dave. You have some audio from Matt Gates. Did you want to play that? Yeah, this is, was interesting. So the setup here is uh, our buddy Mark Cox down in 97.1 had this, uh, I guess he's a congressman on, and he from was Missouri. from Missouri, yep. and he was talking about Matt Gates, and uh, then Matt Gates pulled a real Matt Gates. 
for Matt Gates to say that kind of stuff, it's simply not true. I know the dynamics of the 20 people that voted for voted against Steve Scalise, the 25 that voted against Tom Emmer, and the 22 that voted against Jim Jordan. They were not the same people. They were all different people, and it was for different reasons. So Matt Gates is a foolish liar. A foolish liar. We are back live. Jason Smith says, if my lips are moving, I'm lying. Well, you know what? If Jason Smith is breathing, he is living a lie. There might not be another member of Congress who lives a lie every day more than Jason Smith. And Jason Smith knows exactly what I'm talking about. And by the way, so does almost every member of the House Republican Caucus. So there's a good deal of projection in Jason Smith calling me a liar when it's Jason Smith who, who literally has to live a lie. And I honestly pity him for that because, you know, it wouldn't be something that uh, I wouldn't live that way. I'll just put it that way. Oh, so, Jason, oh, really, uh, I would Matt, check yourself. You wouldn't live a lie with your Venmo payments to the 13-year-old girls or whatever it was. Like, yeah. for the love of God. Man, oh, man. What a jerk. All I have to say is he's kind of exposing himself by doing his pot. Is this a podcast? Is I, this a radio yes show? Yes, it is. I mean, this is obviously someone who is in it for the fame more yes. than anything yeah. else. I mean, just like it sounded like a prof- I mean, I'm sure it is a professional show, but he comes back and he's like, oh, I'm a foolish liar. It's just so polished and so yeah. like trying to go viral. It, exactly. Yep. Exactly. It's just. Hey, that's why you go into Congress to get a TV show later. Yeah. All right, Wheels, you have a couple of pieces of audio here. Yeah, let's do, uh, is there one that says Mad Dog or something like that or Lavolo Tori? Okay. All right, we're going to play that one. So this one, here's the setup. So do you know who Mad Dog Russo is? I do. Okay, so he's one of the original sports talk show hosts. Like Mike and the Mad Dog was the first real, true sports talk show that came along, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s. A K-Fan? Yeah, on, on uh, w, WFAN, w, yeah. WFAN in New York. He works for MLB Network now. He does a, t- a daily TV show on MLB Network. He has his own channel on SiriusXM called Mad Dog, which I have worked on. And he pledged that he would retire from the business if the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies in Game 7. Well, uh, <laughs> the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies. Mad Dog's not retiring and the manager of the Diamondbacks, Tori Lavolo, is not letting him off the hook. Um, specifically speaking on Mad Dog, um, Stephen A. Smith, you're my boy. You're my boy. And I need you to hold him accountable, okay? I need you to keep going at him every single day. Don't let it stop. Um, but a deal's a deal. I agree. Like, you got to you – gotta, you can't back out of that one, Mad Dog. You got to do something. I don't know if you're talking about TV, radio, but I do like Howard Stern's – thought about walking with a billboard saying that I am um, whatever a liar and an a-hole damn in midtown Manhattan for half a day that'll do it for me but I ain't gonna forgive you until you do something unbelievable maybe show up here and say you're sorry to the entire team Anyways, that's all I want to say about that. How, he's up, how old is that guy? Tori Lavolo? Yeah. Uh, he might be a little older than me. He's in our range. Between, really? Yeah, yeah, Man, yeah. he sounds young. Yeah, he's between our ages. He was a, when I was a kid, he was, that's when he was breaking in, probably in the mid-80s as a baseball, as a major league player. How old is Mad Dog now? Uh, uh, I don't know, but he's he's got to be definitely in his 60s and for is sure. is in good fun or is he really d- doesn't like Mad Dog? Oh no, he's he's having a little laugh with it. Like he's okay. you can hear in his voice, he's not super ticked off. 
But he is trying to make a point. You know, you run your mouth. Maybe there mm-hmm. should be some consequences. Hey, what happened with uh, Mattress Mac this year? <laughs> I don't know. I think I already lost. Yeah, this guy, I guess like he big. is rich from mattresses. He yeah. makes big, giant bets. On the Super Bowl every year or and something. if the Astros would have won, he would have won $75 million, but they lost, so he lost millions. Yeah, because what he does is like if if this team if the team wins or loses whatever it is, like all your you get like a free, free mattress yeah. or something. And I'm and I'm trying to remember exactly what the most recent one was. Um, oh yeah, so he took he, he lost ten million dollars on the Astros. But Can you imagine the Forbes mm-hmm. story says he still won because he's getting all kinds of free advertising and yeah, that's why he does all this goofy stuff. Uh, you have another piece of audio wheels. Oh, yeah. All right. So this one, this one's tied into what we've talked about. You know Maxwell Frost, uh, the representative from the state of Florida. He's a freshman. He's new. I don't. Pretty good. I mean, he's he, I don't know about policy, but I mean, he's really good at presenting a case. He's really good. Um, yeah, good speaker. Good, uh, good at, I guess you could say arguing. Maybe that's what I like about him because he's good at making an argument. <laughs> he's the first Gen Z member of Congress. That's oh, what man. that's what okay. he's known for. Yeah, this is big claim to fame. And he went on and basically was trying to make a point about separation of church and state, which is something that's becoming more and more of a topic. He, he and you'll hear in the clip he's talking about things that MTG and Lauren Boebert have said. This threat to democracy has made its way to Congress. I mean, my colleague Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has said, "quote Christian nationalism is actually a good thing." It is an identity that Republicans need to embrace, and I am being attacked by the godless left because I said I am a proud Christian nationalist, end quote. My colleague, Representative Lowen Bober, said, quote, the church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk, end quote, junk being the Constitution and Bill of Rights. The Bible itself in 2 Corinthians actually warns us against this. Paul warned against this. He warned us against people who would preach of a Christ that differs from the true Christ that we learn about in the Bible. That's exactly what Christian nationalism is doing. I condemn religious extremism everywhere, globally and domestically. We have to recognize the threat it poses to our most sacred freedoms and root it out everywhere. And I think it's incumbent, especially upon us uh, as Christians, and me as a Christian, to be at the forefront of the fight to ensure that white nationalism and Christian nationalism doesn't see the light of day. Thank you, and I yield back. I thought there were some pretty good quotes in there. Like, I mean... The church is supposed to run the government, and I, and I, that, that's. I feel like this conversation is happening more now. But isn't it? Would you guys agree? And that's the reason I wanted to bring it up for a quick conversation. Don't we agree that that separation is precisely what all of the people left Europe for when they came here, or left where they came from because of religious persecution? They didn't want a state government or a government of the state. We agree, but people like Bobert and MTG don't. No, I mean, they, they're saying exactly what they mean. I'm uncomfortable with the new speaker and his past. And, you know. Talking about this very, this is why this topic's coming yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, talk about a slippery slope and talk about something that goes directly against the Constitution. First and, Amendment. And Federalist I mean. papers. And, <laughs> yeah. One, and there was a, I've seen a couple of replies like, it's not in the Constitution. And everybody's like, no, it's the First Amendment. You can't have, I mean, there's no state religion. There is no. That doesn't it doesn't work that way because that's what the founding fathers and their and their families in, in, fled in their wisdom in this same basic paragraph. It was you have the right to practice whatever religion you want and no one can stop you. But the state cannot 
mandate a religion. You don't get any clearer or smarter than that. Is that what they want to do is to mandate it or do they, I mean, this is a real question. Oh, I think they would if they could. Right. Okay. But no, I think they're just trying to make the argument that, hey, this is a Christian nation. We should be, you know, basing our laws on Christianity. And it just, it, 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 look, if you are a Christian and you are a politician, you can be guided by your religious beliefs. That's George Bush was big on that. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get up and you hold up the Bible or the Quran or the Book of the Dead or whatever it is, and you say, my new bill is based on this, now you're, you know, you're getting into dangerous waters mm-hmm. constitutionally. Shouldn't be that hard, should it? A lot of this stuff shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> That's a really good point. Nothing should be as hard as it is in 2023, mm-hmm. should it? Yeah. we. I mean, we're just, we're being uh, willfully ignorant and uh, performatively stupid. If we could just, just stop that, we would really uh, be a lot better off. There, there, isn't there a severe lack of, like, putting yourself in uh, in someone else's place? Rather than Which thinking is one of, of the tenets of Christianity. I mean, mm-hmm. like, like, okay, so if you were in the minority religiously, would you want another religion to be of able to so. impose their yeah. rules on you? Of course you would not. So why would you then want to do that? We don't do that test. You know, that whole walk a mile in another person's shoes but thing. You know, that didn't have, doesn't even have to be religion. Both parties, hundred percent. Both parties do that. Yeah. When the Republicans are in charge, they want to impose their will and values on the left, and when mm-hmm. the left is in charge, they want to do the same thing to the right. Mm-hmm. There's no live and let live. There's no let's run the business of the country, and you believe what you want, and I'll believe what I want. It's always you know now I'm your boss. Welcome back, guys. Happy Friday. Happy Halloween season. Uh, hopefully, you are enjoying our listener. Campfire Spooky Stories. We have more coming on next week. Hopefully you're enjoying my stories. Uh, the one I'm about to tell is from the Exorcist House when we were the first team to get in there to do an investigation and my long history with the topic. And uh, so I hope you enjoy it. My first story uh, that has to do with the Halloween shows uh, goes back to the famous, infamous uh, trip to the Exorcist house. And just to remind you, 2008, uh, no one had been in that house to do any sort of investigation. And there was a guy there uh, named Nick who was living there. And two or three years in a row, I reached out to him and he just had no interest. And then he started listening to the show and became a fan. And he reached out to us and said, hey, look, if you want to come in and do a Halloween show, that's cool. So we did. And I had been obsessed with The Exorcist story since I was about 12. uh, When I got a, a horror magazine and they had an article on the movie. And they had an artist's rendition of uh, Reagan, the little girl from The Exorcist. I can still see it in my mind right now as I'm telling you this story. And it, it wasn't a very detailed drawing. It wasn't even a very good drawing, but it, it captured the horror of her. And so since then, I had just been obsessed. Uh, in 2001, I think it was, I was the last person to interview Father Halloran, who was a young seminarian, I believe. And he was part of the crew that did the exorcism back in 1948, 1949 in Bell North, this house. And so I was really into this. So I expected when I got to the exorcist house that I would, you know, I would 
it would be uh, it would be meaningful. And it was mid-October. I uh, got there probably about 4.30 or 5 p.m., so it was still light outside, thankfully. Made it a little less scary. And I went in, and I went to a bedroom, and uh, it was just a bedroom, kind of a nice bedroom. And then the owner came up to me, and he goes, no, dude, <laughs> this is my bedroom. Uh, the one you're looking for is at the, the back of the house at the end of the hall. And so I go to the back of the house on the left, and if you want to go look it up, we, I think we've posted the, the Exorcist uh, show along with videos, and you can see the whole house. And I was struck by how small this room was. I'm not good at things like this, but 10 by 10, maybe. And it was very dark, dark hardwood, uh, dark windows, uh, dark walls, as I remember it. And knowing the story as well as I do, having researched it, I just couldn't believe that there was a bed and a kid and two or three priests and the dad and the uncle and a dresser and a bookcase because uh, in this diary, I think a 43-page diary that one of the priests kept, which was the basis of Peter Blatty's book, The Exorcist. They say that, you know, things were flying around and the bed was levitating and the kid was levitating. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, this room is so vanishingly small. And the staircase, the scariest staircase I've seen in my life, maybe next to the one in my mom and dad's house going to the basement uh, where the butt demon lives. And it was just so narrow. And I just kept picturing, because this went on for months, I just kept picturing, you know, them walking up those stairs, not knowing what the they're going to find for that evening. Was it going to be an easy night or was this kid going to be levitating and speaking in dead languages and stuff? And so I'm up there in the exorcist room by myself. And, but, you know, Katie Cruz was there. Tom Turbrock was there. Tony Colombo was there. uh, uh, Dr. Michael Lynch, a couple of his guys, uh, Father Volman, who was the priest from the priest and the rabbi was there. Our technical guys were there. Uh, so I didn't feel alone. And I hear Tony, not just a voice, it was Tony's voice, say, hey, Dave. And it would, it would came from like the right outside the room. You know, when you have a two-story house, you have like the, the little alcove, for lack of a better term, landing, I guess. And I walk out there relieved that someone needed me because I was kind of getting into my own head standing in that room. And Tony's not there. And so, okay, he must have wanted me to look at something downstairs. And so I go to the back window. There's the back window right there. And I look outside, and that's where all the technical stuff was set up, the tables and the equipment and whatnot. And there's Tony. And it it would have been impossible. It would have just been impossible for him to pull a prank like that on me. Plus, he knew I would have fought him because I was so afraid of that house. So that happened. And I'm going to say it again, as I've said with all these stories. Could it have been in my head? Sure. I'm in the room where the exorcism took place. I've been afraid of this thing for, uh, you know, 50 years of my life. Could it have been a hallucination? Could it have been? Yes, it could have. But I'm telling you the story. Uh, all these years later because it just stuck with me so much and it was just so scary. 
Welcome back, guys. DGS, happy Halloween. I hope you guys have been enjoying this format. Uh, We'll probably change it up next year. We like to do different things for the Halloween show and the Halloween season. Uh, This time we've been doing daily stories from listeners on Halloween proper. Uh, I will be telling a few of my stories in addition to uh, another listener's story. All of this is brought to you by Portlandia, Big Believer Cabernet Sauvignon. It's the one with the Bigfoot on the label. It's a really solid wine at a really good price that for anyone who's into cryptids or the paranormal are going to absolutely love this. Great to drink, great for a gift, wherever you shop for your wine and spirits. It's Portlandia, Big Believer Cab. So now I want to present to you Michael. Uh, Michael is sort of a smorgasbord of uh, things that have happened to him in the paranormal world. So buckle in, hang on. He has a lot of stories to tell. As I introduced myself to Michael, I said he's had quite a spooky life. He has so many different stories uh, that are all really, really interesting, and we're going to cover all of them. So this may end up being two segments instead of just one. Michael, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. And uh, tell us about all uh, these things that have happened to you. I think the the entire, uh, I'll call it an odyssey, kind of begins because I'm uh, from the New York area out on Long Island and uh, grew up near the Amityville Horror House. So I was uh, on the north shore of the island and on the south part of the island was the house. And I was born in 68, so uh, the book came out in 77 and my mom made the mistake of leaving it lying around the house where I could uh, read it and then made the mistake of letting me watch the movie at far too young age and then also made the mistake of uh, driving me by the house on at least two occasions that I can remember on the way to our cousin's house. Um, and I was sitting in the back seat, just utterly horrified uh, as she p- pulled up next to the house and started recounting the stories about the portal to hell in the basement and the pig that was going to be looking out the window and all this kind of thing. And I was uh, just on the floor of the car in the back expecting, you know, you know, wanting her to get out of there because I was convinced everything was going to get into the car and uh, go home with me. So, um, and she, we did that once and then she thought that was such a good idea, we did it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so I was sort of, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, uh, an amazing 1970s parenting, I think, <sighs> on, on many levels. I was convinced everything was gonna get me from UFOs to Bigfoots to Loch Ness Monsters and all that kind of thing. Same. The best thing was we were separated by about 20 miles. Okay. So mm. I wasn't on my bike riding down there because I, I felt like the distance was helping protect me from uh, the, the portal to hell in the basement. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I ended up teaching at a boarding school up in uh, uh, the very haunted northwest corner of Connecticut in the beautiful Berkshire Mountains, um, working at a really small boarding school where the kids' uh, um, uh, uh, imagination just ran wild. Every single dorm was haunted. Uh, every inch of the campus was haunted. One of my partner teachers who I ran a dorm with, thought it was a good idea every once in a while to use the Ouija board uh, with the students. Uh, very unadvisable, I guess, these days. I don't think that passed muster, but he would get out the Ouija board and do um, uh, uh, a, not a, I don't know what you call a session, that's mm-hmm. what we call it, uh, with the kids. And uh, one night, I, I totally standing back watching this going on, wondering if it was a good idea um, uh, because of the parent phone calls, uh, not because of the, the undead, I guess. And uh, the Ouija board was just like flying around, just moving all around and and uh it was totally unplanned it was my friend with these students and it started to like just answering questions it was just this very fluid discussion um and it turned out well i'm trying to even think back now they contacted a native american named 
war, W A R. Uh, we were we were in a small town, uh, and it, oh, and it said that uh, it was he, the the Native American was from a place called Cornwall on the Hudson, which is a, a real town down there in New York, and it was concerned because somebody had pushed them into the river and killed them, so it was looking for answers using a Ouija board. That that was sort of an unanswerable thing. I'm still scratching my head as to how that unfolded. There there was one other Ouija board thing that I was I was actually I had my hands on with this one. I studied abroad in Germany. And one night, a bunch of us Americans were over visiting the house of one of the girls in the program. And the mom, I guess she was a pretty witchy German mom and pretty far out because she's like, do you want to do a seance? And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, bring it on. And she set up a, a Ouija board on the table and just cut out letters on paper, A through Z, and just put it in a big circle and put a glass on the table. And we all had our hands on the glass. And that thing was ripping around the table, too. On a, uh, um, and I couldn't figure that one out either because... None of us had discussed this, and uh, I, I, to this day, still can't figure that one out. And it was, it was saying some strange things. Like at some point, so somebody said, "Where, where are you?" And it said, "The score, S K O R." And I had just been reading some science fiction book with something in it called "The Score," which is where apparently uh, by the book it was it, in the book fictional. It was a place where everything that has ever happened existed, and everything that ever will happen existed. And I was, and it just seemed very specific takeaway that this thing kind of threw that out there. And I, uh, I remember being very frightened as I was going home to catch the train home, standing by myself in the dark at the bus stop. Back to the boarding school, yeah. So haunted New England. There was a um, uh, one of the one of the town stories was that uh, uh, at night a black spot would come out of the hills and steal the children of the town. Um, and take them back, you know, wherever a black spot would go to at night, back up into the hills. And one day, apparently, all the city, um, uh, uh, the fathers in the city got so upset with the black spot, they armed themselves and went, you know, chasing after the black spot. And uh, the story goes that they found it, they, they chased it into a cave. And as they listened into the cave, they could just hear the, the screams and cries, you know, of all the children that had disappeared. I worked one summer with the National Parks Department and was uh, uh, at Harper's Ferry in West Virginia, which is the site of uh, uh, Civil War battle, famous Civil War battle, uh, John Brown slave uprising, and just this old spot right on the border of West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland, right on the rivers there. And they put the volunteers up in this sort of 18th, 19th century row house and I lived with two other fellas who would often leave for the weekend, but I was living in St. Louis at the time and I wasn't leaving from West Virginia to go home for the weekend. And so I was up in my room one night, very quiet, and I'm up there reading and the front door of the house opened right under my room and closed and I could hear someone walk in very clearly. This is, and somebody went, definitely went down the stairs to where the kitchen was. And then a few minutes later came back up the stairs and left. And I'm, I was thinking, oh, you know, one of the guys came home to get something or they're back or something like that. Uh, weekend ends and those two guys come back to go their volunteer jobs and I said oh who came home this weekend and um, they said oh none of us were home and I was like oh okay so who's coming in the house it's got to be someone with the key and uh, I looked uh, the next day I found the park police and I was like were, were any of you guys in the house over the weekend checking on something and and there were a couple of them there like no I was on duty and I didn't go in your house. And the other guy pointed over to, to the building and he said, are you in the place with the ghost that cooks? I think there's a cooking ghost in the house next to you. I asked the women who were living there, is there a ghost that cooks there? And they're like, oh yeah, uh, we hear someone in the kitchen all the time cooking. We can even smell food. At first we thought it was our roommate who used to do a lot of uh, baking of bread. 
but we hear him, we hear it now, and they're upstairs with us, and we just hear someone in the basement cooking. One night, I'm having dinner in the house by myself, sitting at a table, and I hear my windows open, and I hear people down on the street talking below my window, and I look out, and there's a whole crowd gathered around underneath my window, and it turned out the house is on the town ghost tour. Two nights later, I took the ghost tour, and uh, and she had a hundred stories about the place. And she used to live in the house. She babysat for people in the house. And she said the kids who used to live in the house she babysat for would talk to people in the corner that nobody else could see. They would just talk to... And then park rangers apparently chased like a black creature into the house one night. They were chasing a black creature around the park. And it went in the house and into the basement and back up. And they couldn't catch this creature who was like running around Harper's Ferry and was like running through this already haunted house. So I was hearing somebody maybe come in and go out that nobody could explain who this person was. After that, I was a kind of guy. My safety is to then get in a room, close the door and play the radio so I can't hear anything. So I reverted to being uh, 10 years old again in my house. That was my safety device to keep away from all the ghosts in my house growing up was to sort of lock the door, turn something on and uh, not have to venture into the rest of the house kind of thing. But and I found myself doing that again as a, you know, I was like 27 years old and, I, you know, Eventually thinking, what what was what am I doing here? I'm 27 and I shouldn't be hiding from a ghost. And by the way, the door was locked. Welcome back, guys. DGS Happy Halloween brought to you by Portlandia Big Believer Cabernet Sauvignon, the wine with Bigfoot on the label. Back to Michael. Uh, I'm not sure I've met anyone who's had as many paranormal things happen to him as Michael, but here he is to tell us a bit more. At some point... Uh, the coincidences seem too much to be coincidence. Uh, do you have any sort of feeling that you may be some sort of attractor to things like this? Or are you just drawn to these places? How, how do you explain all these different things that have happened in your life? I, you know, actually, I have no idea um, because I used to really want to believe in, you know, or I did. I was kind of a big believer looking for evidence everywhere. And I was a guy and I still have a pile of you know, UFO books, uh, Bigfoot books, you know, anything I can get my hands on, you know, once again, creature of the in search of generation. And, um, and you know, as, I, as I've gotten to be an older guy now, that I, I'm a total sort of like non-believer, mm-hmm. but totally amazed that these stories are out there and exist. And, and you know, hey, I'm waiting for it to happen. Uh, but, I'll, you know, I don't, I don't know if that answers that question. Yeah, but, no, we're, um, we're very similar in that way. Michael, let me, so, let me ask you about uh, the Amityville house, going back to the beginning. Uh, growing sure. gr- growing up there, because I was terrified. Uh, I, to this day, I can't watch that movie. It really, really got to me. Growing up there, was there a sense of, uh, oh, no, no, it was the DeFeos, it was just this multiple murder thing, or did people really seem to embrace it as real? Uh, you know, the, the DeFeo thing was totally in the background, right? It's I, I think even these days, that's the secondary story. Um, and, and definitely was back then. I think, well, I think now nowadays it, it is dragged in a little more. But um, no, it was definitely a straight up haunted house story. Uh, everybody had the book. Everybody saw the movie. Um, and uh, and once again, you know, see, I, I saw that movie at far, t- you know, I was, what, 10 when the movie came out? Uh, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the other cable movies. My mom just, my mom and dad both let me watch, or maybe we're just not there. And I watched uh, The Exorcist was on, and the one that flipped me out that I, you know, had no idea what was going on in it was The Omen mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. So, so uh, you know, my the way it was paved, I guess, for my imagination to 
uh, be flipped out on all these things. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 